Well, we're in this amazing Gospel of John, and if you have your Bibles and we'll turn there, we continue in John chapter 6, this really first of the I Am's, and an amazing and important thing that we're learning together and rejoicing the Lord. So we're in John chapter 6 together, and we're going to be starting in verse 35, right in the middle, this great I Am statement. But I want to start like this, you know, I, uh, I enjoy video games. I don't know about you. Video games are cool. And it's, it's not just the graphics. I like strategy games. So I like to think and plan. And usually uh, it's, it's training me in a certain way. And, you know, I know some people are like, ah, oh, those moving around buttons or whatever, or however you think about it, it's training you. If I can get the difficulty level lowered enough and get my skills high enough, I can win. And it's great. Usually I have to put the difficulty level really low. You know, that's okay. So, but... Isn't that also kind of training me in society that if you increase your skills, if you have a plan, and you get the right difficulty level, if your difficulty level is too, too high, then you've got to get some assistance. But, but if with the right skill level and the right like, like effort and things that you do, that life's going to go pretty well for you. And it's true. The world works this way. It's not wrong. The difficulty becomes that I start to think this way as I come to the Lord. I do in my Christian walk. I start to think in the ways of the world and the ways that things are supposed to work. And so really the message of the gospel becomes offensive to me because I'm steeped in these ways of thinking that I've known since I was a little kid. And they, as I grow up, I even have these for my kids. You know, the Christian school may say something like, you know, we're training kids to have a great impact on the world. What are they trying to do? Well, they're going to give them the skills and, and get the right difficulty level, and they'll, they'll go impact the world. What does it mean to impact the world? What does it mean for you and I to gather here and worship Jesus together? What are we actually sick? That's why this is so important, what we're doing today. Because what we're actually doing is coming to the text, the Word of God. When Jesus Christ, who's the Son of God, came to earth, and he said some amazing things about what the truth is, and this chapter is one of the biggies. Really, the first time he came, he said, I am this, and I shatter your preconceptions, your, dare I say, your plans. Because I have plans about how I think my life's going to go and what I think I need to be and, and all those things, my plans. And they, if I, if I could have a line, I would cross out my plan and just say, you know what? i got to see his plan. And it might be very different than you think. My plan is always, it seems, not his. So we come today to the word of God and we submit to it and, and boy, the Holy Spirit to work on our hearts that we might see the wonderful heart of God for you, that he's got a plan for you. What is it? Okay, so that's, that's what we're doing. I want to start with the will. The will is the choosing, the, the heart that you have to, to get out there and do, and, and God's will. Because that's how Jesus enters into, we're, we're picking it up midstream, so it's kind of hard. So we're picking it up from last week where I tried to get you to move from the idea that's very true and right, that God provides bread for you. He provides everything. Everything you have is a gift of God for you. But Jesus particularly comes and wants to shift you from that. From Jesus gives you bread to Jesus is your bread. He is himself the bread you need. And how that changes things. 
So we're going to seep in that today as we move forward. But this idea of his plan starts with the will. Whose will? So we're going to pick up in verse 35. Here we are. John 6, verse 35, starting with this great statement that's really the center of the whole chapter and kind of right in the middle of it. Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger. Whoever believes in me shall never thirst. Amazing statement, isn't it? But I said to you, he keeps going past where we ended last week. But I said to you that you have seen me and yet do not believe. Okay, this radical move from Jesus providing bread to Jesus being the bread of life. And we take him in, we receive him. Uh, and, and not we receive strength from him, we get that too. But the main piece of our Christianity is that he is our bread. And then he's looking at this crowd and he makes this observation and it's a scary one to me. They've seen Jesus and they've seen the miracle and they don't believe. If you don't believe, you don't have life. So, <laughs> why don't they believe? I mean, that's what comes, all these people around him, Jesus did this amazing miracle and he's standing in front of them saying these amazing things. Why don't they believe? So there's a couple possibilities that come right to mind. I don't know if they do for you, but they do for me. I mean, one is uh, maybe he's hard to find. Uh, he's standing right in front of them, Swanson. Yeah, that can't be the reason. <laughs> You're right. Well, maybe there's another possibility. Maybe Jesus rejects some people who come. You know, you can try to get to Jesus, but you just aren't doing the right thing, so you're not going to get there. He might say no. Let's see how that fits with what Jesus says. All that the Father gives me, verse 37, will come to me, and whoever comes to me, I will never cast out. For I have come down from heaven, not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. And this is the will of him who sent me, that I should lose nothing of all that he's given me. But raise it up on the last day. For this is the will of my Father, that everyone who looks upon the Son and believes in him should have eternal life. And I will raise him up on the last day. Okay, so this is Jesus speaking, and it isn't that he's hard to find, right? Very specifically, it's not that he rejects anyone, right? That's what the text is saying. In fact, every single person who comes to Jesus is doing so because this is the will of the Father. Father's got a will. What saves is the Father's will. Jesus came down because of the Father's will. And then those who are given to Jesus will come to him. And if you come to him, he'll never cast you out, it says. Well, what if I do this or that or do that? No, 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 no. This is the Son of God talking. The Father's will isn't to judge people who come to Jesus to see if they're good enough. It's to protect them, right? That's verse 40. This is the will of my Father, that everyone who looks and believes on Jesus should have eternal life. And because it's the Father's will, Jesus will most certainly make it happen. 
I'll tell you what, this puts Jesus and the Father on the same side as, 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 as acting, not, not as one is the heavy hand and one is the night hand. They're together calling the people that would come to him. What does it look like, this salvation? It's in the text too, right? Resurrection from the dead. It looks like resurrection. I will raise him up. Not not today. I will raise him up on the last day. He says it twice, right? So you make sure you get it. This is really radical. It blows out how I plan to live a religious life so that I might be acceptable to God. So I can get my difficulty setting right. And then I grow my skills enough. God will say, yeah, 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 you're the guy. You, you've done okay, Dax. Come on in. Many times, you and I, we base our standard on what we think is necessary based on how we read a religious text, even this one. Which is full of the beautiful law of God. And I I fit that beautiful law of God into my cultural, systemic way of thinking about how I'm going to live because I've got a plan and it'll be to keep this amazing text and it'll be to do it and so therefore God will get me into his heaven. And here comes Jesus. And he says, anybody who just comes to me, you can't even, you're not going to come to me. If the Father wills you to come to me, you're going to come and anybody who comes I've got, I'm never letting him go. Wow. Like that. Because he's turning things on their head, right? The whole issue is coming to Jesus. If you've come, the Father has done it. And, and boy, talk about it not being you at all. It's not that you don't act. It's not that you don't have will. It's not that you don't choose. You do all that stuff. But man, the whole piece is, did the Father get me there? No personal hurdle to leap. No faithfulness demonstrated. It's all a gift of God in Christ. It's super humbling. I think I got a little strength and I'm going to use it, but actually I'm not even as strong as I think I am. Because my will is to think I'm central in choosing Jesus. My will is to think that I'm going to conform my plan of how the world should be based on my understanding even of the Bible. But but his his will is to actually accomplish something. God the Father. That's really important because His will is the will we rely on. His will is what gives us assurance. God, if He wills it, then it happens. Now, now I'm, I'm going to be careful because a lot of times what happens in your and my life is, I say this all the time and maybe you do too, I say things like, well, if God wills, then this will happen. Because I've read James. Don't say, go do this. Say, if God wills, go do this. So even in the Crusades in the Middle Ages, I don't know if you remember, do volt if God wills. If God wills, then we'll go kill all these people over here. It's not about just sticking if God wills on, the, on, on your plans. If God wills my plans. No, no, no. We're talking about the actual will of God for you today. Is that he comes and says, I've got the will of God for you. What is it? That you would come to Christ and live. Full stop. Okay. Say, so, well, I, I, 
want to talk more about free will, Dax. I want to talk more about some other things. But I'm kind of following you. Yeah, it's really amazing. Jesus is amazing. And he gives resurrection life. And I know that he's going to resurrect me on the last day. And I really like, how does that happen? What are the means? You know, means, means are the way that it happens. So the way something is, is, is accomplished. And again, I think I know the means. And Jesus comes and kind of makes it different. Let's look. Okay, so 41. So the Jews grumbled about him because he said, I am the bread that came down from heaven. They said, is this not Jesus, the son of Joseph, whose father and mother we know? So how does he now say, I have come down from heaven? So... They don't hear anything about how the Father gives or what the Father's will is. They don't, they don't care about that. They don't care that he said he was the bread and have to eat him. At least not yet. Now, what they really are like, well, you're from heaven? He doesn't have the power to do this stuff. And so you, you ought to think, as you read through this sort of stuff, you think, hey, what, what are they saying? If Jesus doesn't have the power to do this, who does? Well, they do. Why do they? Because they're going to keep the law. If they keep the law in obedience to God, then God's going to, they have the power in themselves to get to the right spot. And, and Jesus is the one who's, who's setting himself up against that. that. That's what he's doing, right? Keep, keep going. Jesus answered them, verse 43. Do not grumble among yourselves. No one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him. And I will raise him up on the last day. It is written in the prophets, and they will all be taught by God. Everyone who has heard and learned from the Father comes to me. Not that anyone has seen the Father, except he who is from God. He has seen the Father. Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever believes has eternal life. I want you to see this is a necessity. This is super big, what Jesus is saying. The necessity of being drawn by the Father. Every single person who will be in heaven has been drawn by the Father. I'm not saying you necessarily realize it. They say, oh, yeah, I I get that. I felt the call of God, the pull and draw of the Father. You could say, man, I chose Jesus. I prayed the prayer. Awesome. But let me tell you what the Bible says. You were drawn by the Father. Because that's what Jesus says. And then, and then, but, but the real piece there, in fact, let's go back and look at it. Look at, no one comes to me unless, unless the Father draws me. That's good, that's good. So then what does Jesus do? Jesus raises them on the last day. So the act of Jesus in salvation is raising you on the last day. How's that going to be accomplished? You came to him. The means is what Jesus does. He's got this power. Jesus is saying, the power is mine. I can raise whoever comes because the Father draws. And his proof, he quotes, he quotes right there in the middle there. I don't know if you saw it. It's a little quote. It is written in the prophets. They will all be taught by God. That's a quote of Isaiah 54, verse 13, probably referencing Jeremiah 31 as well with the new heart. But the whole, the whole statement there, if you go back and read it, we're not going to take a ton of time. It says, all your children shall be taught by the Lord. What that means is God draws them to the only way to have eternal life. Because if God teaches you what the real pathway is, that's the path. Not people. So this is the means. This is how you go to heaven. The Father draws you. 
and Jesus resurrects you on the last day. And by the way, Jesus says, if anybody thinks differently, no one's ever even seen God except the one that got sent, and that's Jesus himself. That's me, says Jesus. You should be hanging on my every word because you have no idea. It's like a brand new video game. You don't even know the rules. You don't even know what to do. And someone's telling you, no, this is what it is. I'm telling you it's something different than you've ever known. So taking my plans, my ideas of fairness, of judging people's character, of morality, and Jesus is dropping them by the side. That is radically offensive to me. I don't like it. Because I see myself as having planned and worked and done and and achieved and, and gone a certain way in order that I might be prepared for all this stuff. And now it's just like, well, but I'll just come to Jesus and then Jesus raises you. That's too easy for me. But even that's not quite offensive enough. So listen. I am the bread of life, Jesus says. He's doubling down on eating him. Your fathers ate the manna in the wilderness and they died. This is the bread that comes down from heaven so that one may eat of it and not die. I am the living bread that came down from heaven. Anyone eats of this bread, he will live forever. And the bread that I will give for the life of the world is my flesh. Wow. I mean, look, Jesus says, I'm the bread of life. And compare me to manna is a poor comparison is what he's saying, right? That manna where every day you got it and every day you ate and every day you had enough strength for your day, that's a poor comparison because everybody who ate that stuff died. Anybody who eats me lives forever. I'm the true bread from heaven. (laughs) I'm the game. I'm it. Eat me and live. That's offensive. This is what I'm giving for the life of the world, Jesus says, my flesh. He, he says flesh there, not body. It's, he doesn't have communion in mind, I don't believe. He's talking about his death on the cross for you and me. I'm giving everything as God incarnate. I am going to die on a cross for the world. And it's enough. Okay, 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 so back up. I get it, kind of, you know. If you come to him, he accepts you because the Father's done it, and he's got the power, so all of it. And so then how does this happen? It's still kind of hanging out there for me. So verse 52, the Jews then disputed among themselves, saying, how can this man give us of his flesh to eat? (laughs) It's interesting. The sprance isn't like be our bread or even, you know, how, but cannibalism, no way. So Jesus says to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you have no life in you. Whoever feeds on my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life, and I will raise him up on the last day. For my flesh is true food, and my blood is true drink. Whoever feeds on my flesh and drinks my blood abides in me and I in him. 
It's just heavy stuff. Keep, let's keep, keep going. As the living Father sent me, and I live because of the Father, so whoever feeds on me, he also will live because of me. This is the bread that came down from heaven. Not like the bread that the fathers ate and died. Whoever feeds on this bread will live forever. There's another line there. Jesus said these things in the synagogue as he taught at Capernaum. That's to give a, an emphatic boom to what Jesus just said. Because he just gave the golden center of Christianity. And then John says, Yabadoom. Jesus doubles down. They're like, cannibalism, this sounds really bad. Yet Jesus says, yeah, cannibalism and vampirism. Drink the blood too, you guys. It's absolutely forbidden to drink blood. Eat flesh and drink blood or there's no life for you. My flesh, my blood says, says God, God is talking to you. How does it work? Well, listen to Jesus. Verse 53, you need life in you. It means eating the flesh, drinking the blood of the Son of Man. That's Jesus. Verse 54, if you've done it, you have eternal life. And Jesus will raise you at the end. Verse 55, why? Because his flesh is true food. His blood is true drink. It's real as in every other is not real. In a way, they're not Every other sacrifice, every other law, every other thing is not sufficient. And so this is how you abide. You eat this flesh, you drink this blood. Coming to him, believing in him. So like Jesus lives because of the Father, then you're going to live because of Jesus. That's your hope. This is the core, right? It's not your personal transformation. Jesus doesn't say a thing about your personal transformation. He says, this is what life is, to receive and eat. He's talking about union. Union based on what he promises and provides. Himself. You gotta see how radical this is because they had the scriptures. They were interpreting them and basing their behavior on them. They had their plans to stay right with God and involved keeping the law. They had their story about the means of salvation. It was based on God's promises to Abraham, their father. God was their God and their God gave them the scriptures. So they searched the scriptures and obeyed them. And this is their means of getting to God. And so many of us, we live there. Like that's our means too. And Jesus comes and he says, stop, stop. You need only to see me to live. Come to me and live. Trust me and live. My work for you, this is the means, and I will make it happen because I do what the Father wants. He creates what he wants, and he's brought you to hear these words. The Father's will the son's means. One more section of Jesus here at the response is the actual words. Will, will you hear them? Because when many of his disciples heard it, this is the word of God to them. And when they heard it, they said, this is a hard saying. Who can listen to it? That means we all have no way. But, but Jesus, knowing in himself that his disciples were grumbling about this, he said to them, do you take offense at this? 
then what if you were to see the Son of Man ascending to where he was before? I.e., I'm God telling you. You're taking offense at God. It is the Spirit who gives life. The flesh is no help at all. And the words that I've spoken to you are spirit and life. You know, there, there it is, right? The Spirit, you should know this, because Ezekiel 37, Valley of Dry Bones, the dry bones are there and they're dead, and the Spirit comes in and gives them life. The only hope you have is the Spirit gives life. Not in the flesh, not in you attaining something, not in you buffing yourself up for some video game. It's actually being given life. Your flesh is no help. I'm not actually speaking about taking a mouthful of my flesh, says Jesus. I'm talking about the Spirit. These are the words of life. The words that I have spoken to you are spirit and life. In our flesh, we have many other words, many other conditions and rules and things we want to see and interpretations and thoughts. But the words of Jesus here are spirit and life. And then he says, but there are some of you who don't believe. For Jesus knew from the beginning there were those who did not believe and who it was who would betray him. And he said, this is why I told you that no one can come to me unless it's granted him by the Father. This is wild. What I'm telling you, I get it. After this, many of his disciples turned back and no longer walked with him. What does that mean? They were not drawn by the Father, right? Because they don't believe the Son. They have their own words. The words of Jesus really are offensive to our plans, to our words. And so Jesus said to the twelve, do you want to go away as well? And Simon Peter answered him, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. And we have believed and have come to know that you are the Holy One of God. There's the picture John puts for you of what it looks like to come to Jesus. To confess who he is. And see what he said? You have the words of eternal life. You've got the words, Jesus. Jesus answered and said to him, Did I not choose you, the twelve, and yet one of you is a devil? He spoke of Judas, the son of Simon Iscariot, for he, one of the twelve, was going to betray him. Jesus knows the whole way exactly what's going down. But don't miss this. The confession of Christ is the taking him in, the affirming of his words, that he's the only way. There is no other, especially that there's no hope in themselves. And Jesus knows this, and he's chosen even them. Okay, with this, the scene closes. Chapter 7 starts something new. This passage, you guys, is so central to Christianity. Uh, You know, not every text in the Bible is as central I'm not a heretic to say there are, there are passages in the Bible that are all good for instruction. They're all good for training. But not all of them are as central as what we just hit here. Where Jesus Christ, the Son of God, comes and says, this is the presentation of what it means to be in me. This is so huge. So I want to make sure you hear this message in regards to today's culture we live in, right? We'll, we'll close with this. Because we all have stories we tell ourselves about how to get right and stay right with God. They are all to varying degrees about the law. Rules to live by. And we who value these scriptures and we we take them as the authority for the law about how to live for everybody. Not just Christians. Do you know the law, the Ten Commandments, is for every living being, I believe. On this earth, you should live morally. 
It's for everybody. It's not particularly Christian. It's how the world should work, that people should be this way, and the beauty of it and the wonder of it. But what, what happens is, is we start to bring Christianity into it. So, so you know, I, we preserve life because God values life. We abhor murder and adultery because God commands. Everybody should. Everybody should everywhere and every place uphold the law of God. But I go beyond that. I bring it into the spiritual judgment. A Christian needs to support this viewpoint, not the world. As soon as I do that, I'm violating what Jesus is actually trying to tell me. What do I mean? A Christian must be for government action against abortion. A Christian must be for government action to take from the wealthy and give to the poor. A Christian must be the primary teacher of their children. A Christian must never fall into homosexuality. A Christian must uphold marriage and not get divorced. Implicit in all these things is that those non-Christians out there might be pagan. But we Christians know better. The law is established here. You see what Jesus just did? He said those people are the people that are the Pharisees. Because coming to Jesus turns it upside down. Yeah, the law is for everybody. But the Christian must what? Come to Jesus and live. Guess who comes to Jesus? Murderers, adulterers, crazy broken people, tax collectors, zealots. They're looking at Jesus. They're with him. It doesn't take away that the law is true as you live in this world. You say, man, you shouldn't be taking, robbing people. Of course, that's the law. But guess how you come to Jesus? It's totally different. It's come to Jesus and live. This very viewpoint Jesus is smashing to the ground today is that it's somehow the Christian places where the law is kept. He's not... He's not taking down the law. He's not lowering how people should live on earth. The law is for everybody. He's taking away the Christian part. A Christian is one who comes to Jesus. Stop. A Christian is one who has no other hope than Jesus. Stop. A Christian hasn't just failed the law in the past and so with redoubled effort now keeps God happy. A Christian is and only is one who eats the flesh of Christ and drinks his blood. This is so radical. It just means, man, I have no other hope than I'm going to actually do this crazy thing that all of my hope, all of my desire, all of my my only assurance I'm going to have is that I've taken in Jesus, not that I've buffed myself with some help from my bread that Jesus provides. I'm trusting that Jesus' promise is true forever. And so the adulterer and the murderer and the angry one and the cheater and the coveter and the greedy, that's not what any of us want to be. I don't want to be. It's just who we are. You say, I'm not that, Dax. Okay, then read the Sermon on the Mount, and it's not just that. It's it's that you're angry, and so you're a murderer. It's that you do the wrong look, so you're a coveter and an adulterer. It's so you, you, you long for more stuff, and so you covet, and you're greedy. And all these things, I, I look in the mirror, and I say, I'm not as strong as I think I am. It's not about my strength. It's about, do I see the forgiveness of Christ? Do I long for it? And that's what I receive. And if you receive it, that's you coming to Christ. The promise is on the last day you will be resurrected to life. That's why it's so important 
You know, I, I snapped at my wife last night again. Again. My hope was in stopping that. I'm not going to get very far. I lusted in my mind three weeks ago. I'm 50. My hope was I'm going to be done with that by now. I've been a Christian for 35 years, 40 years, longer. Follow me as I follow Christ, will you? And by follow me as I follow Christ, I would, Paul, say, I will find no righteousness of my own, not at all, but put all my hope in the righteousness that's coming when Jesus Christ returns because he is my righteousness, he is my holiness, he is my life, and he is my bread. He's in yours. Let's pray.